Hi, I'm Leola. I'm a sacred intimacy mentor and muse and the host of this podcast. Talk Tantra to Me introduces a playful perspective on sacred sexuality. My intention in this podcast is to integrate intimacy and spirituality, empowering you to reclaim your eroticism. It is my mission to inspire you to let go of shame, fear, and limiting beliefs to be present as your highest self in every moment. Thanks so much for tuning in. Now, let's talk Tantra. Hello, loves. I am so excited to announce that I'm going to be facilitating alongside some incredible teachers at the Austin Tantra Festival coming up here in Austin, Texas, December 16th through the 18th. I love, love, love these community spaces as incredible opportunities to learn tools for greater intimacy, authenticity, and connection. These sort of containers are really a safe space to practice setting boundaries, to discover and push your edges, to let go of any limiting beliefs around connection, sexuality, or intimacy. So tickets are now on sale at austintantrafestival.com. I have a special code for you. Leola10, that's L-E-O-L-A 10, gets you 10% off tickets. So I hope to see you there. I will be linked Austin Tantra Festival in the show notes. Now let's get into the episode. Welcome to Talk Tantra to Me. It is such an honor to be holding space for this divine knowledge to make its way into your ears and lifestyle. I want to apologize to you guys. I am getting over a cold, but I'm so excited to be here today talking Tantra with Lorraine Joe. She is a pleasure alchemist, erotic embodiment coach, and founder of Slutty Girl Probs. I'm so grateful for her content and so appreciative that she is here on the podcast to offer her perspective of living living an expansive life. So thank you for being here, Lorraine. Why don't you start by telling us a bit about your journey with becoming an erotic embodiment coach? How did you discover this passion and purpose? Well, thank you so much for having me. I am so thrilled about your work and excited to chat with you today. So I originally created Slutty Girl Problems a decade ago when I was in school and navigating my own sexual shame. So the shame that we get from our upbringing, society, religion, and just feeling really stuck and gross and sticky about even just being a sexual person. So I really wanted to destigmatize the concept, um, reclaim the word slut and make it an empowering term so that we didn't feel ashamed about our natural sexuality. And since in the past decade, that has really evolved to explore kink, non-monogamy, queer identity, all of these different facets of me that as I began, began to unfold my own sexual journey, started to come forward. And now um, even going deeper into the emotional pieces, the mental pieces, the pieces of us that might be stuck in trauma or fight, flight, freeze responses. I've been getting really into somatic work and getting in tune with that body and mind and emotion connection as a way to heal so much of what's been done to us. So not only unwriting the stories and the shame through our mental processes and getting support through that, but actually actually how it lives in our bodies and learning how to release that too. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. And also thank you so much for 
like sharing so much of yourself so vulnerably, like on the internet. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I feel like so much online is like showing the final product. It's showing the dream life. And I'm really like, all right, the journey to get there is so messy. It's like crying on the side of the road. It's like uh, being confused about what the next step is. And like to get to that point where you're feeling really great, you got to go through a lot of icky feelings. Yeah, absolutely. And it is so beautiful to see creators just stepping up for that, especially in the space of sexuality. I know for myself, it's been, you know, like, I think I was working in this space professionally for like years before I was actually talking about what I was doing because it's so, it is so stigmatizing to so many people, but it is because of that, it is equally important for people like you and I to show a path to get there and to be a living embodiment of, you know, your pain being alchemized into purpose. And that is so beautiful. Uh, I would love to go a little deeper into the word slut. That is a word that I personally feel like I'm still finding my way to reclaim that part of myself. Uh, And it gets to come in layers. And I've had my like horror phases. And at the same time, uh, yeah, I mean, what, how do you define slut? Who is she? Yeah. How does she To me, being a slut hasn't, been about the number of sexual partners or the acts that you do. And it's a word that was prescribed to me way before I ever lost my virginity or simply because of what you wear or how you dress or carry yourself. You, I, I started being called a slut when I was a kid and just developed boobs. And I was like, this actually means like yeah. nothing about me. It's just my body doing a thing that the body does. Um, but it's this word that's been derogatory for so long that in the act of reclaiming it, for me, it's just felt like I just get to be natural the way that I am and unashamed that it's normal. It shouldn't be taboo and that I can fully express myself without any of that societal shame that I'm just not going to allow that to imprint on me or internalize in me. So to me, it's less about the amount of people or what you're wearing or like going out and being kinky, but the authentic expression, whatever that is. And sometimes like I've had periods where I haven't wanted to have sex with somebody for like a year and I've gone like intentionally celibate. And then that's been really healing. And I still feel slutty because I'm like, I still have desire and fantasy and I still have um, a sexual energy in me, but it's just focused on me. And it's like the more that you even are able to get in touch with those pieces inside yourself, the more you can bring them forward with a partner. And for so long, I felt like I was performing sexuality for somebody else's pleasure and feeling fully embodied in it on my own. And it's also about that embodiment practice. Like what brings me pleasure and me being able to advocate for that? Yeah. So what I'm hearing is to you, being a slut is less about like what you're doing and more about being in the embodiment of eros and like sexiness and desire. 
Right. Yeah. Like sometimes when I feel the most like Aphrodite energy is when I'm single and I'm not having sex with anyone at all. And I'm just keeping all that energy for myself. And I just feel like a lion on the prowl. And that can be really sexy when you're like, nobody gets to touch this, you know? (laughs) I love it. Beautiful. I also really resonate with this story that you mentioned about being called a slut before you even were like sexually active. I remember when I was young, I was like the teacher's pet kid. I was always super uh, present in school and very engaged and straight A student. And I, in that it gave me a lot of really positive attention from teachers. And then around like seventh grade, seventh to eighth grade, that started to shift. And the only difference was my body. Like my actions didn't change. Um, you know, I always, when I was a kid, I dressed very colorfully and like, you know, I, I kept dressing colorfully. I didn't, I didn't perceive myself as dressing slutty, but I was just dressing in things that like felt like an expression of who I was and my body was changing, but I was still, you know, wanting to do well in school and show up. And it actually that when I, my teacher started to treat, to treat me differently, And not in a good way, in a way that I felt like I was being punished for no reason or ostracized. I I can't, I mean, I could give, you know, actual examples, but the point is that it actually really made me distrust authority at that point um, and have a lot of questions about, I mean, that was one of the birthplaces of my own um, thoughts about like, what is my body communicating to the world? Yeah. Of a subconscious journey, but yeah, that is so huge for me too. And I have a very similar memory of, um, you know, developing young, I was a super nerdy kid, very school oriented. And then all of a sudden, uh, the clothes that everyone else was wearing, if I wore the same exact shirt from Delia's to school, I was getting sent home and told to put on a big, yeah. big bulky t-shirt. And I even had an experience recently where I was at um, like a therapeutic trauma treatment center. And uh, while the experience overall was super helpful, the owner had made a comment that was very inappropriate. Uh, We were supposed to wear workout clothes. So I had on workout shorts and a tank top. And um, she was like, that's unsafe for you to wear here. Like you are way too like show offy with those clothes. And I was like, Everybody else is wearing shorts though and tank tops. Is it just because I have boobs and I'm like thick? Like I'm a five nine like woman. Like I, when like I do look <laughs> hippie and thick. And I was just like, you know, I'm showing up here to work on my trauma and to work out and to do yoga. Nothing about my sexuality or my presentation is sexualized right now in this environment. Yeah, and that we're sexualizing can- it. <laughs> Yeah. And that people are um, taking our bodies and putting their sexual interpretations onto us is really their problem because like, we're just existing as who we are. And even if we were, I mean, me showing up to a therapeutic center, sexualizing myself would not have been appropriate, but in the spaces where it is, when we're showing up as that, we deserve to be treated with respect and um, honor and kindness and you know, that our sexuality doesn't mean an invitation to be degraded or like hit on and disrespected. Yeah, absolutely. I had a friend who had a similar experience at a yoga, yoga teacher training 
she was wearing like a normal yoga outfit, something that you would see anyone wear at a yoga class in LA. And the teacher told her she was too sexy for class. And yeah. What? And that's somebody else's interpretation. Cause I'm like, I bought this at like Target with everybody else. <laughs> like <laughs> with everybody else, we all went together. We're matching. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, exactly. It's, it's, it's preposterous. Uh, I'd love to talk a little bit. You mentioned body count and this wasn't something that we had on our original like list of topics, but you had mentioned a bit about slut has nothing to do with body count. What are your thoughts on that? Or do you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah. I think like when people hear slutty girl problems and they automatically think of like a Don Juan that's probably slept with hundreds of people and that's totally cool. And I'm happy for those who do. I have slept with less people and less and less the older I get and I still feel really slutty. And honestly, it is in my more committed relationships that I've felt like I've been able to be my sluttiest. Cause I did go through like a quote unquote slutty phase where I was just like sleeping with everyone. Yeah. And that's actually when I felt the most disembodied and I'm not saying that's the case okay. for everyone, but for me personally, I, it was reclaiming and performative and experimental and explorative. But when I've been able to have deep connection with someone, that's when I get to put on all the different roles, the playful kitten, the dominatrix, the goofy, silly, giggly one, the one that's like down to try like squirting for the first time or fisting or anal or whatever it is. Like I'm yeah. not trying that with like Joe Schmo that I met at the bar. I'm trying that with somebody that I've developed that deep trust and connection with. And that's when I actually can embody the, the sluttiest, most taboo versions. Yeah, absolutely. I deeply resonate with all of this. And it reminds me of an exercise I did last fall. It all had to do with my ex learning my body count. And we were very, there was a big disparity between our numbers. His was much lower than mine. And, and honestly, from my perspective, very low for a man of his age to begin with, which I think is so beautiful. And that would never be a reason why or why I wouldn't choose to couple with someone. But my number was a little bit more questionable for him. I wouldn't say it was like triggering but he started to ask me questions and I was super defensive. Um, and the reason that I gave was why would I put a number? Why would I give like one person a number that I slept with once? And I barely remember it. Cause I was mostly drunk, which is a whole other problem in and of itself or opportunity. And then I have you, I'm sleeping with monogamously for months. Like, how do you get the same number? It doesn't, to me, it just doesn't, you know, fit. And that's all good and fine and well. And at the same time, he actually invited my resistance even showed my own judgment of myself too. And he encouraged me actually to make a list of every person because I wasn't even sure of the number was the other thing. I had like a range because um, I was so anti-body count that I was like, I'm not even going to keep track. And I don't think that that was necessarily right or wrong or good or bad, but you know, I thought, okay, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and do the thing and try to make a list to appease you. And also to 
to feel into what might come up that actually might be a good exercise for me to consider my sexual journey almost as like a journaling exercise. So that's what I did. I wrote down every single person that I could remember. And um, then I wrote down next to it, what, why, what was my motivation for sleeping with that person. And I started to see some patterns that were showing up around me actually um, outsourcing my sluttiness or wanting to validate my worth. And it was in those times that I was separating myself from my life force more and more or using it transactionally. There were lots of um, very shadowy expressions of my sexuality in that time. And it just was totally inauthentic, a lot of it. And this was, you know, I guess, 13 years of sexual history or 14 years. Um, So obviously there was like a wide gamut and like I had grown and changed a lot and there was a lot of grace for past versions of myself, but it was a very therapeutic exercise and it allowed me to see um, the change that I've made that's made me more authentic sexually. And also what lingering pieces of myself have I not healed in those that are not showing up authentically and can be initiated further. And so with that being said, I'd love to talk about authentic sexuality because that's something that you work so deeply in. So Yeah, I resonate with that so deeply and I've done a similar exercise and have seen similar trends. So all of that spoke to me so beautifully. And um, I, what I also brought up for me is just this idea of like quality and that the quantity isn't representative of like even the diversity of expression we were having in sex, it to me, and it sounds like to you, it speaks to these unhealed parts of us that were like trying to figure something out or find something. And don't get me wrong, like I've had periods where I've had lots of sex that have been totally embodied as well. So that's not necessarily indicative of that, but um, it's like this idea that our number and having a higher number somehow means we were more explorative or um, having lots of quality sex. It's like if I were to narrow down that list to the sex that I felt like was quality connection, meaningful, where I was fully embodied, the list I can count on two hands. Like it's like yes. a lot smaller. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Same. Same. Yeah. yeah. I will just say it. my number was like, in the fifties, I think. And I can say that the number of people that it's been embodied has been like maybe a fourth of that. Yeah. Um, so absolutely. just to give people listening, like a, you know, idea of what it might I'm look right like. there with you. I'm like in the like forties, fifties. I don't, I don't, I haven't updated a list in a while either. But I I think a lot of people think that that some people are like, oh my God, that's so many. And I'm like, but realistically, I've had like a dozen people that have really touched my heart or that it was um, taught me something deep about myself or was this like beautiful unfolding expression. And you don't get that so often. Yeah, I absolutely agree. That's so, so beautiful. And also the incredible thing is once you start to recognize a few things, one of them being self-love and then also the tools to really have true intimacy, then all of your sex gets to be authentic, no matter what it looks like. I was just going to say that. As like 
spiritual woo-woo. Like it doesn't oh my matter. Gosh. Be authentic. But yeah, go ahead. Yes. And I was that's exactly what I was going to say is that like as we allow ourselves to feel into what it is that's bringing us pleasure in the moment, that that can change so differently. Like I know I mentioned we could be a playful kitten, a dominatrix, be giggly, be primal and fast. And that can look so different day to day, even with the same partner where you're just like, I want to rip your clothes off right now. Or you're like, I just want to like roll in bed and be like touched all over. Mm -hmm. And all of that is authentic. As long as you are showing up as the you that's like, this is what would bring me pleasure right now. Not the you that I think I need to be for your pleasure or the you that I saw on TV. And like, I was just chatting with somebody else about how, um, like, when we put on like beautiful lingerie and candles and like take a bubble bath, sometimes that does feel sexy. And other times that feels like a lot of work and isn't actually authentic, but that's kind of what we've been sold as like the deepest sensual sexuality. Some of my deepest sensual sexuality has been like camping in the woods under the stars where I'm like dirty and we're just like in the back of a truck and like they're covered in leaves. Like, yeah, like raw primal like very human moment not dressing it all up and both of those can be authentic I really love that dichotomy in the example that you gave where you first have this you know really orchestrated a ritualistic experience which can be very authentic and I've had those experiences Mm -hmm. and they're so juicy but it is also just as authentic to be out in nature or like even honestly like in a bathroom at a restaurant that can be authentic to the moment. Yes. Real and alive and juicy in your body. Great. As long as you're not doing it to like prove yourself to someone or to like, I don't know, what would be some indicators of like, how would you know if you were not being authentic sexually in a moment? Like, how do you think that you could feel into that? Yeah. I think that listening to our body is just such a huge cue. Like if it's something that's getting you excited and your heart pounding and that like, Ooh, I'm kind of like on the edge of something fun and exciting. And maybe I'm a little anxious, but like, I want to dive in. That is like what I really try to lean into versus if I'm feeling like contracted or stuck. Like if you think about an animal freezing or being like, oh, I don't know if this is for me, but then there's like kind of that sweet spot of like excitement and nervousness and tapping into which one it really is and like, which is authentic. Like I had this experience where I was on the side of these like beautiful mountains in Colorado and we got out of the car parked and like ran through the woods to the edge of the clearing so we could see over the whole town and all the mountains and decided to have sex right there and there was this nervousness of like are we gonna get caught like oh my god is like anybody around but the excitement of that like pure embodiment and like let's just go for it was like the primary force there versus if you know, I had a partner that was like, let's do this. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Like I'm feeling stuck and scared and freezy like that. I would listen to whether it was instead of the like, oh, well, I'm not sure, but this is super hot, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think even when you have those moments of like contraction or like, oh, is this like within my realm of comfort or whatever it is, like if you feel a sense of like, I'm not sure. Like, that's okay. That doesn't mean that you don't have sex. That doesn't mean that the experience stops. It's just an invitation to maybe get clear on your why or get clear with your Mm -hmm. desire or feel into what 
is available in that moment. And sometimes, I mean, I've had this happen to me where it's like, you know, I didn't feel like sex was available in that moment, but I I knew that there was um, something else available and maybe it was like really soft connective touch or eye contact or like skinny dipping or something like that. And sometimes, you know, when, when I went with that route first, that was just the experience and it was beautiful and it was available and it was amazing. And sometimes those are the gateways into deeper connection as well. Meaning they, if you're not feeling like a full yes to something, like it could be like, well, what am I yes to now? And then Mm -hmm. after that experience, maybe there's a new yes that's available that is actually um, even more um, intimate, I guess. I don't know. Yes, absolutely. I always say to take those baby steps towards the desire and to get really curious about what those stuck parts are, because they're usually trying to protect us. They want to keep us Mm -hmm. safe. And it's like, how can we learn to soothe them, soothe our nervous system and listen to what we need? Like maybe we're needing more security in this connection with our partner. Maybe we're needing some reassurance. Maybe we want to go to a different um, scene. Maybe we want some different styles of touch. And you spoke to that really beautifully of what little baby step can I take? That's a good action right now. And that also really speaks to um, responsive desire. Some people experience that spontaneous desire. Let's just run into the woods and fuck. And then other people are like, all right, I need to be kind of like warmed up and feel wanted and feel turned on. And if you say yes to that, like, all right, well, I'll make out on the side of the woods and like, see how that feels or maybe like full flash the like nature and then you're like okay now I'm starting to like get a little bit revved up because your nervous system instead of spontaneous is responsive to all of these sexual cues yeah thank you for adding that I feel like you just gave really great concrete examples for what I was just trying to say so that's amazing um and we've been talking a lot about like it being in the embodiment and like being connected to your, to your desire. And so much of this has to do with somatics, which is a big part of your work. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about, you know, what are somatic practices and why are they so important for, for us, for our sexuality and also for our healing? Yeah. So for a long time, I thought that shame mostly lived in our mind and our emotions. And I've done a lot of work about um, undoing and unraveling all of those social constructs. So the way that society, culture, religion, our upbringing has influenced our minds and then uh, really pulling apart those messages so that we can see what's ours, what's not ours, and then have a more supportive framework to start telling ourselves um how we want to show up sexually and embody our sexual essence. And then I realized that that was really only one part of the story because so much of it actually does like live in our bodies and you can't think your way out of an emotion or a sensation. So I've been diving more into somatic work, which is really connecting to where am I feeling that in my body? And so many people describe it as like an expansion or a contraction. It can also feel like a knot or a stuck point or your um, heart racing. It can feel like a black hole or your stomach flipping. Wherever that is in your body is actually giving you information. And when we're able to sit with that and ask it what's going on, try to envision what it looks like, what that's trying to tell us. Like recently I was feeling, I just went through like a really rough breakup 
And I was feeling this huge black hole, like right in my solar plexus that was just like Mm -hmm. dragging everything in. And with slowly working on that in my body, envisioning it, asking it what it needs, learning to actually soothe that piece of myself that was wounded. Our solar plexus is this place where it's like all of our vital organs. It's very protective. If we're going to get hit, that's what we go and protect that in our, our heads. So it's like this space of just deep vulnerability and then how can I make myself feel safe moving forward to release that and then it slowly started to become like a cave sensation and now it's just like a little bit mucky and I know that it's going to be back to its normal self because I'm actually tending to the body piece I can like feel it getting hot even as I talk about it because simply putting our attention on where in our body we have those feelings starts to release that energy yeah absolutely you know, when you think about it at the end of the day, we're animals. And when an animal is, you know, chased by a lion, if a gazelle is chased by a lion, it doesn't go and talk to its therapist. It just, you know, shakes out its body, you know, right after it gets away, it's kind of like, Ooh, and it releases that fear. It releases that energy that's stuck within us. And we have moments of anxiety and like level of fear on a day-to-day basis. It's just like we're our our minds are literally wired to look out for, you know, something that could attack us or not feel safe. And we live so contracted and like we're not like, you know, we have such schedules that don't really support us like actively moving through and releasing this energy. Um so yeah, working with those somatics is so important. And it's it's one of those things that like doesn't sound very sexy to a lot of people like on the surface, like somatic work, like moving your body. Um, but it can be. And Mm. also to me, the deeper that you meet these pieces of yourself and work through the somatics with like the regular stuff, the regular feelings and the not sexy feelings, the deeper you're able to meet the really sexy primal feelings that many of us deeply desire. Oh, I absolutely agree. It's like you have to be able to feel the depth of the pain to be able to hold the depth of joy because it's just two different polarities on the same plane. And like both need to be felt and experienced to be able to have one or the other. Otherwise, you kind of can just like ping pong, like you might sling up to joy and pleasure for a while and then you either get numb or collapse or um, it can get like too scary. It's like you have to be grounded and rooted knowing that you can get through the hard parts and the muck to be able to experience that that huge euphoric sensation too and especially when we've been through trauma even thinking about these topics can be really scary um but using somatics starts to bring us back home to that trust in our body and so i work with so many women that say like i i'm not even present during sex i'm just like disassociating and that is also a trauma response our brain is turning off because in our minds we've filed that experience alongside other things that have traumatized us and not just getting to the root of it like in talk therapy it's like we don't even need to get to that piece, we can sit with the emotion and move that through our bodies and learn, okay, how do I unfreeze? How do I ground myself now in this sexual situation? And it could be things like, um, 
getting soft blankets that bring us back, tools to remind ourselves that we are safe now that we're with a partner that loves us. Something that I love exploring is kink as a healing modality because in kinky dynamics, you get to have a voice, you get to have clear boundaries and you get to practice in these like touchy, edgy situations, but you actually have agency in them and you have the power. They always say the submissive is actually the one that has all the power in the room because you are setting the scene. And that just speaks to me so much. Um, And kink is also an embodiment practice with like chains or rope or being spanked. You're playing with all of these body sensations that are helping you stay present in the moment and that you can stop at any time. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you about the kink in the BDSM world, even more so than Tantra. I found in those communities that the communication around things like needs, preferences, and boundaries is just, it's just so for the most part, not as like a blanket statement, but I feel that those containers are really held with um, those foundation pieces in place. And I do think it's really important to vet individuals if you're going to take that route and or do, you know, a lot of your own research around how to approach kink and BDSM safely. But overall, it is such a beautiful space for um, really creating safety while also healing from trauma and um, creating a space in your body to receive as well. Absolutely. I completely agree. It's such an intentional experience and also helpful to work with like a kink-informed or trauma-informed coach that's kind of helping you and a partner to navigate that. It's not necessarily something that's easy to, to go on your own to those deep waters. So I always recommend having somebody that's helping you understand those somatic experiences. I've definitely been in relationships, even with people that were super safe and that I loved that like something can still trigger you in that moment that was totally unintentional. And then you're dissociate or just crying hysterically and they don't know how to soothe you. They're like, I'm doing the best aftercare I can. And you need to also know how to come back to your own nervous system soothing. So um, I've definitely yeah. had those experience where I've been pushed a little too far and unintentionally and lovingly. And now learning how to ground and center has been so huge. And on the flip side of that, you can also get these like wildly transcendent subspace experiences where you feel completely like blissfully out of body. So it's like, I just, I love this idea of um, we're here in these human bodies for a reason. And one of them is experiencing so much pleasure. And I just love like, how are all the ways I can just push my senses in every direction and like feel everything, like the pleasure, the pain, the like weird parts, like all of it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I have certainly been there as well with people that I love that didn't, that totally danced within my boundaries and I found an edge and lost my shit. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, and that's a part of the process too. And I think it's also just like giving so much permission for 
all of that to happen in those spaces. Like I feel like we put so much pressure on like a scene or a sexual experience looking or being a certain way and often including like some finale or special act. And when we get hyper-focused on whatever that result is or that thing is, then we miss what's available. And sometimes it's having a huge emotional release and becoming aware of a part of yourself that has been desiring to be seen and loved. So thank you for speaking. Yeah. That as well. So many people are like, oh, I'm afraid to speak up because I don't want to ruin the mood. And I'm like, ruin the mood for who? Like if you're feeling uncomfortable, your mood is already ruined and you got to honor you. So speak up. Yeah. And it's inauthentic if you don't. And the other person yeah. will be able to feel it. Even if they yeah. don't know, like they don't know what they're feeling or they're out of touch with like what that means, they will still be able to feel it and it will be off. Yeah. Yeah. And body is totally the way to go. Like, even if you're not feeling it, it's better to just let that go for the day and feel into like, where, where could you feel that eventually? And you know what, maybe it's not today and that's fine. I've been just learning so much about acceptance for where we are, not just with our sexuality, but like that we have sad days and that that's okay. And we just have to be okay with even the times that feel sticky. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're worried about someone judging you because you have a moment where you need to speak an authentic truth um, and they end up proving you right for your fear, then great. They're not supposed to be in your life. They're giving you a gift that is showing who they truly are, which is, you know, a hard pill to swallow when you're in it and you care about someone. Uh, but alas, it is the reality. Yeah. And that's the path to be able to find somebody that is really, truly deeply aligned. I work with so many people that have desires that they feel like are so non-normative and so taboo that they're like, how is my partner ever going to accept this? Or how am I going to find somebody that will? And I'm like, have you been on Reddit? There's communities dedicated to this with tens and thousands of people. Your people are out there. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, it's crazy. It's so crazy. I feel so grateful to have someone in my life now that is just like everything that I could have dreamed of that I never thought was possible. I literally did not think that my dream partner existed because I didn't have any evidence around me of it. And I, what I decided to do, what, what I was doing before was I was consistently choosing partners that I had, um, seen evidence of meaning like I saw a partnership that looked like X, Y, Z. So I would mirror that in my partner instead of just like getting really clear on what I wanted, even though there was no evidence of it existing. And Mm. so when I journaled about all of the things that I would want, I was like, I don't think this, I'm not sure that this even exists, but I might as well just try and see what happens. And guess what? I met that person. (laughs) I love that so much. I've been falling in the trap where I keep dating my mother over and over. (laughs) Your mom. Yeah. Everyone that I uh, date has like the same characteristics because I have a very difficult relationship with my mom. And now I'm in this process of doing very similar of defining like, you know what? I deserve this. I've been great at understanding sexuality and unraveling that for myself. And the next layer of my journey is, um, loving myself enough to let myself have my emotional needs too, which is like a a journey in and of itself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'd love if you could tell us a little bit more about like what you do 
and how people could work with you if they wanted to. Yeah, absolutely. So I do so many things. I do coaching classes, workshops. You can find all of my info on Instagram at Larejo. I'm going to be launching a podcast super soon and I would love to have you on. That would Yay. be so great. I'm it. actually not super familiar with Tantra, so it would be really fun to chat about and pick your brain. Cool. And um, yeah, I have a free sex magic ebook on my website, larejo.com. I love sex magic. I've used it to manifest so much. So it's my favorite practices. It's totally free. It's a great ebook. And I offer coaching. Um, my class is step out of your subconscious stories and shame to fully embody your authentic erotic self. That's not the name of it, but that's the, the vibe of it to really let go of all those stories and blocks. It's full of somatic practices, mind practices, understanding where all of this comes from. And I do that work in my coaching as well. I love internal family systems, somatic work, attachment theory, and really exploring how do all of these factors come together to create our sense of sexuality, create the blocks that we have, and then what are the tools to let them go? Yeah, I love it. All really powerful stuff. Um, Just to close out, I have a bonus question, which I ask all my guests. What awakens your arrows? What turns you on? What makes you feel erotically alive? that I am such a novelty seeker so I love trying every new thing I'm like a kid in the candy store I want to try tantra I want to try om I want to try uh being mummified and I want to play with electricity I just want to try all the soft things the rough things the dirty things um so yeah I just like to put my hands in all the different pots and play with them (laughs) yeah why limit yourself I'm definitely very much a maximalist as well I have my favorites but I like everything to be on the menu oh yeah absolutely I feel the same way (laughs) okay cool well thank you again Lorraine for joining me today so beautiful (laughs) deeply appreciate you and I also want to express my gratitude to the listener thank you once more for opening yourself up to the idea of sacred sexuality with so much gratitude and love have a sexy and spiritual day and I'll catch you next week on talk taunter to me Ta-ta.